Boom. All right, we're back for another episode of Hard Out, my favorite movie. This time our guest is none other than Dylan Avery, famed maker of the Loose Change and Black and Blue documentaries. He's got a new feature film we could touch on for a minute that he's, I think, what are you in post now? Or are you all wrapped up? Yeah, we're uh, we're in post. We're doing edits, uh, cleanup, sound design, uh, music, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, we're there. We're, we're in Same post. spot we are in Cactus Jack, which... Like all episodes in the foreseeable future, this episode is brought to you by the film we made, Cactus Jack. So if you stick around at the end, you can see a trailer of it. Um, go to cactusjackfilm.com. You can pre-order the film, shit like that. But we're here not to talk about that. But first off, your favorite movie, which is Fight Club. But we don't want to spend an hour just ladling and lathering David Fincher at all with fucking effusive praise so you asked if we could talk for a bit about your favorite bad movies which sounds fucking delicious yes, uh, yes. let's uh let's talk a little bit on fight club first well and... actually actually though isn't the first rule of fight club we can't talk about Shit. Fight Club. Anyway. what are we doing this whole premise is <laughs> we're breaking the first rule man so uh, well yeah, you you I'm did say it. if you had to pick a film which we have we readily agree it's a fucking absurd question like part of the running joke of this whole thing is we can't even pick a favorite so for us to ask others to it's kind of funny but uh since you did pick it you want to tell us why it would be your favorite yeah i mean you know the our discussion came with the caveat slash asterisk that um you know for a long time that was my go-to answer whenever i was like oh what's your favorite movie and i think for a lot of people especially in my age range fight club came out i mean first of all it came out in 99 along with a, a long side of many other uh highly influential films uh you had dark city come out the same year you had american beauty uh, a lot of great films came out in 99 yeah, absolutely uh, yeah, so it's it's almost kind of hard just to pick out of all of those. But, you know, when it came out, I was wrapping up high school. I was getting to that point. You know, I was a sophomore at that point when it came out in 99. Uh, didn't really wind up seeing it like many people until after it hit theaters, after its uh, somewhat questionable marketing approach. Uh, so not a lot of people really not a lot of people really saw it in theaters. So I was part of the group of people that saw it later on once it hit home video and DVDs Same. and stuff like that. So. I don't know. It just, it kind of came out for me at that perfect time. And I, I have been thinking about this actually leading up to this appearance. And I think the best way to maybe, you know, jump onto that asterisk uh, slash caveat is that like when you're young, you think Tyler Durden is cool. And, you know, yes. you, you look up to Tyler Durden, but the older you get, you more, the more you idolize with Jack, the narrator, you more yeah. realize that, you know, like Tyler, you know, is, is exactly what he was, I think, ultimately portrayed to be, which is the antagonist of Fight Club and the bad guy. Mm -hmm. But it's funny because uh, Wisecrack, like two days ago, just started a new series called uh, Film Versus Book or Book Versus Film. I can't remember nice. which. And the first one is Fight Club. And mm -hmm. in that video, not only do they go about the differences between the book and the film, like how he first, how he first meets Tyler and the circumstances there. In the book, he meets him on a nude beach. In the movie, he meets him on an airplane. Um, have you read the book, by the way? I have. Yeah, I have. And um, I read it years ago, like 15, 20 years. Probably. I mean, this movie's 21 years old, which is fucking amazing, too, uh, like how time flies. Good Lord. I mean, it feels like it could have been made yesterday just because Fincher's so next level and his look and yeah, aesthetic was so ahead of its impressive. time. But, uh, yeah, I, I did not recall that from reading the book, though, The New Beach. <laughs> I didn't want to read touch it. on you read it. You read it after watching the movie? You weren't familiar with the yeah. book before seeing it? Okay. Right. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was also one of the interesting things that they brought up uh, in that the movie, there were these little touches that Fincher, um, oh, who did the screenplay adaptation on that? Jim, was it Goyer? Jim Oles, yours, Jim Oles. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. There you go. Thank you. Um, but yeah, and then in their adaptation, they made a couple of subtle changes to Tyler. So for example, when he holds up Raymond K. Hessel at the convenience store, the gun's unloaded. When they're doing their big demolition job at the end of the movie, all the buildings are vacant. So it's right, like right. Mm -hmm. in the in the movie, Tyler operates more on the threat and the idea of violence than actual violence. So I think that was one of those uh, conscious choices that they made. My dog wants to know what's going on in here. Um, <laughs> Join the conversation. The question is, was that the studio softening it up or? Yeah. I, I feel like that had, to have, that had to have been, that had to have come down to Fincher, whether or not he's the one that mandated it or whether it's one of the conversations that he had with Jim as they started to adapt the book is like, I want to make sure that there's a certain, um, 
can't think of the word, not uh, benevolence necessarily to Tyler's <laughs> actions, but you know, there's always, there's like a way out always. Yeah, it's yeah, like, exactly. well, yeah, yeah. I, held, I held the guy up at gunpoint, but the gun wasn't loaded. You know, it's like, uh, it's like raising Arizona. It's like, it ain't armed mm-hmm. robbery if the gun ain't loaded, that kind of right. thing. <laughs> it's a good way uh, to do a, you know, we always talk shit about that book, Save the Cat, as far as screenwriting goes and how prescriptive you know, it, it is, it's, but it's a good way to make an anti-hero uh, a little bit more lean into the hero versus the anti, you know. I don't like. I don't know why it's so cool to talk shit about Save the Cat. I mean, for me, Save like, the Cat. <laughs> here's the problem like, with Save I, the Cat. It's what it did to the executive side of things. That's what most screenwriters gripe about it. Like as a book, it's pretty solid. Now to say this has to happen on this page and shit is ridiculous. But that's no, it's our not, rule like, to break and shit. You know, that's that's fine. It's no, but it's is, like if you're if you're just trying to wrap your head around general structure and like it just it breaks things down in a way that I think books previously had not like even McKee's story, you know, which is a great book. I don't think he went to the lengths of like, all right, well, here's the number of beats you have to have in your film. Here's the amount of time that you should try to have elapsed between those beats. Here are some tips and here's some things that other movies have done that make it mm-hmm. fit into this formula. Um, I don't know. Like I, that was one of the first books that I read where I was like, Oh, I we still use it. beat sheet terms and shit. Like we don't completely it's, reject or hate the book. I'm just saying, if you talk about screenwriters, it's about the development side and how every executive who read it, it got the shorthand and they are sticklers for the prescriptive aspects of it. You know what I mean? So when you get hired on an assignment and they're like, well, this fucking turn into three or the long dark night of the soul should be happening around page 75. And it's like, dude, different stories are different ways, you know? Um, like yeah, Christopher McQuarrie was just talking about structure. Structure, if you're writing in an entertaining manner, structure is what happens. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to follow this prescriptive... The formulaic. Formulaic three-act structure. It's very studio-friendly. If you're writing tent poles and shit, great. But I'm just saying... It has its place. Yeah, it has its place. It's a tool. Learn the rules, break them, etc. It was very, it was very handy for us because especially um, my writing partner, Corey, like, you know, he had never really written a script per se, which isn't like to talk down or talk shit. I'm just saying like for him, it helped immensely too. Cause like we literally had, we had had index cards all over his dining room wall. And like Mm -hmm. for the first months of writing, it was just like, all right, well, here's, here's the space that we have to work within, you know, maybe we can take this Mm -hmm. beat and move it here. Like originally, um, like origin and here's a perfect example of kind of bucking the trend of save the cat is that originally the the all is lost moment was going to be zoe and lynn his wife and daughter taking off and leaving oniana um but the more we started working on it, the more we looked into it we we're like well no we can't really do that so maybe we'll do something different for the all is lost moment we'll have the wife and daughter leave at the midpoint which again feeds off of the catalyst on page 12 so it still worked so we didn't mm-hmm. like you know that was my thought well, so you know all is lost we got to have some kind of a downer beat here at this particular point but then instead of it being his wife and daughter leaving it was them coming back downer. getting yeah. it's a different kind of downer point. that still There's fits a, his yeah. midpoint anyway his midpoint reversal yeah. you know that's also a big loss moment etc so. and, and a lot of that goes harkens back all the way to like the you know the hero uh the hero's journey and the descendants into the cave is around the same time as the you know dark night of the soul and everything so yeah it's kind of a repeating pattern and just in yeah it's very campbell-esque but uh and again that's not a fault of it it's just that there are certain some of the movies we love the most completely eschew those quote-unquote yes. rules you know what i mean um and, oh, yeah. and the best thing to do is to know those rules and then subvert them right know when to break different them. ways yeah. and shit which psych club, so with fight-, fight club again is super subversive um as far as structure and everything goes but what the fuck even let us down that? Oh, well, I was just saying that that's like an anti-hero save the cat mm-hmm. moment. You know what I mean? I'm going to put a gun to, to your head. To say the buildings no are vacated, et cetera. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, when I saw Fight Club, I was living Jack's life, the narrator's life. I was in an <laughs> office job. Um, it totally resonated with me, you know, and I did hunger for what Tyler Durden was preaching at the time. But I agree over as you get older, you start to realize, and the movie itself says this too thematically, that, you know, that youthful angst and energy and like wanting to direct that against something in a violent way is a, a huge curse of especially the young man, you know, I mean, most terrorists and people out in the world wreaking havoc, or, you know, uh, are, are, you know, full of testosterone and angst and stuff, you know, so it's like a double edged sword where it can be something that can be used for great good, you know, but, uh, but it's dangerous too. And the, consumer lifestyle isn't necessarily so bad if it's done right you know that it's 
you know, the Ikea life that he had, you know, I, 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 I love that. I think that's a, you know, a nice existence, you know, like it's, you just want the right degree of both the yin yang table set at all, maybe. You know? Right. Um, speaking again, of how old this movie is, I noticed there were pay phones in it. <laughs> like that's how fucking old this movie is. Yeah, pay phones. Good, it, yes. Oh my God. Um, so you first saw it. Do you remember the first time you saw fight club? Um, I remember the first time it was put on in front of me and I did not finish watching it because it was with my girlfriend at the time. Um, and this might've been, this must've been around 2000. Um, and so, you know, it was on VHS, you know, and she's mm-hmm. like, Oh, this movie fight club. It's really good. You should it's watch it. Pit with a shirt off. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, gotta, gotta pander to your, to your audience. Yo. Hey man, that uh, shit almost turned me gay. That was peak. Pit. <laughs> Yeah, the the peak male physique is Brad Pitt in Fight Club. It is. Uh, no, so so I was introduced to it in 2000, and I think it must have been around like later that year, 2001, because I was on the, you know, I was I was pretty early into the the early days of you know file sharing and DivX and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I think the first time I saw Fight Club, it might have actually been like a DivX rip of it. Um, but that was but, uh, probably alone, not with a group of other dudes and shit that's what i was wondering about you know if you no, saw it's just me. Or, yeah no, it was just me which sometimes I watched is it with the best way to view a movie well uh i think you had seen it first if i remember right jay and you told me i had to see it so we watched it i think it was at orlandi soup kitchen that we call it you know my yeah. apartment there and i'd seen it i saw it in a theater in germany at ramstein air force base i was in the air force for four years from was 18 it, to 22 so yeah i saw it, it sorry was it dubbed or was it subtitled no, no, this was on base. This is a base theater. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Okay. And I think we might have got to see it a little early. Because I think they would get yes. the movies a little early overseas sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. And AFES and AFN and shit would work out deals, you know, with the studio. So they would get shit early for troops. But uh, yeah, I remember it came out around the same time as Sixth Sense. No? Maybe not. Well, I was in Germany. I saw both Which of those. Interesting, in Germany. You know, I, think I think you're right because Sixth Sense was also 99. If I'm not, yeah, sorry. and that was the big thing. The year of the twist. The year of the twist and the big <laughs> reveal about the protagonist. Not the dance. Exactly. Speaking even of American which, Beauty. even like American yeah, Beauty, yeah, near the end, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, and by the way, for anyone watching, major spoilers ahead when we start talking about the twist in this. Right. Right. So be warned. And, and yeah, if, you haven't, if you haven't seen Sixth Sense, a 20-year-old movie, spoiler. <laughs> right, uh, Fight Club is uh, I'm referring to specifically. Oh, Fight Club too. yeah. I mean, but again, like, if you haven't, if it's fair. Yeah, right, right. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. If you haven't seen Fight Club or Sixth Sense, it's your own fault. Right. You should at least well, watch it to take part yeah. in 99 Cinema. And uh, Jay and I have talked about this before. There were um, studies done that, that seemed to show that people's enjoyment of a movie aren't necessarily ruined by spoilers. In fact, I just watched Fight Club again prior to this, knowing we were doing this and watching it, knowing the twist that, you know, Tyler Durden and the narrator Jack are the same person um, watching it through that lens, which I had before. I've seen it more than once, but um, like, especially, um, damn, what's her name? Um, Helena Bottom Carter. Carter's character, Marla. Marla's POV dealing with him his psycho ass you know <laughs> like what just knowing you know what she, her lens her pov uh especially i was just like man that poor woman <laughs> you know totally but um but it, it well, makes make enjoyment possibly better knowing the the big reveal especially as a writer when you're seeing how everything's stitched together it's pretty satisfying knowing you know uh-huh. Well, I think there, I think there's two sides to that because there's the one when you see a film for the first time and you see the twist for the first time and you're like, all right, I need to see this movie again with this yeah, brand new context. It can be, it can't because I think a lot of the thrill that comes out of watching the film over and over again. And a more recent example of this mm-hmm. for me is Knives Out. Um, Cause I didn't see where that film was going at yeah. all. And I was just like I along for the ride. So like, and that, and the great thing about Knives Out is watching it again and again. It's like, all right, well now I know the story. Now I want to analyze this more from like a storytelling and from a from a structural right. standpoint. Um, but if I had known going into Knives Out like the entirety of the story, I would have been. It wouldn't have had as much of an impact, and I wouldn't have been driven to have watched it so many times after that mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. for me, it's kind of 
it's that kind of sense of discovery and kind of like analyzing things and having a context that you didn't have before. Whereas if it's just something that you read on like a Facebook or a Twitter post, it's just like, ah, well now, now I don't even want to watch the movie. Right. So I, I, yeah. I agree with you, but I think there's also both yeah. sides to the argument where you well, still kind of need to have that visceral first time yeah. reaction where it's like, I'm Oh, your father. Now, like, yeah. That's yeah, ideal um, for sure. Yeah, the then you get your cake and you get to eat it too, you know? Exactly. You, you get to, right. You can do it both ways. Well, it's like know? witnessing a crime is a fucking spectacle. And that's hard to top as far as the spectacle goes. But going back forensically and investigating a crime is dope mm -hmm. too and super mm -hmm. fascinating, you know. So it's just two different ways to experience it, which again, if you that that is why spoilers are a problem. You don't want to rob someone of that first initial impact, you know. Right. It is yeah. a total asshole thing to do. But again, twenty years so, man. spoiler alert. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, back to um, Sixth Sense though. I watched that around the same time. And I remember this one was hyped, like it has this big twist ending and everything. And I went with a buddy who had already seen it. He's like, dude, you gotta go. I saw it last night. Let's go tomorrow. We gotta see this flick. So we go watch Sixth Sense and about two thirds of the way through it, I caught it. I was yeah, like, he's the you're fucking expecting ghost. a twist. You I knew there was a twist coming. I didn't know what it was, but I did yeah. call it, and he's like, "Damn, yeah, yeah." I it. didn't. I think um, when I saw it, I didn't. I had no clue there was a big twist or anything. So, and you were one of the people who told me. I remember long distance talking, and you were like, "You got to see it. There's a big twist and shit too." Mm -hmm. um, but Fight Club, I did not see coming. Yeah, me neither. It took a minute for me to compute too. I feel like and, I was a little slow on that one. Like and when Fight Club, they were trying to give you the hints. <laughs> well, but, Fight Club, ironically, when you go back and watch it again now. Both of them kind of do a little of that. Six cents more so, I think, at the end, once it reveals the twist, it shows yeah, you the ways you that it had planted this throughout. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It shows a little um, montage. Well, yeah, because because yeah, him Fight kicking Club, his own ass. And shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah Fight Club's reveal lasts like five minutes, whereas Six Sense yeah. reveal is like the entire third act. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, like it kind of really starts kicking in when he's flying everywhere, following Durden's path, and it realizes that people are you know seeing him like recognizing him and yes yeah it's it's really expert yeah it's like done. it's like two three scenes back to back and then it's all third act conclusion from there rest six cents mm -hmm. kind of feeds it out and once he gets that revelation then he starts to piece it out slowly through the rest of the film and the film ends with him of course you know right. band falls off and all that stuff and you'd see those little moments though of like the wife would breathe and it'd be cold air and shit you know and uh with the menu and the restaurant and shit and six cents and part of that montage mm -hmm. but my thing is when you go back fight club did way more work even of setting it all up there's the little mm -hmm. just one frame shots of tyler durden leaning on someone's shoulder yeah, and shit impishly yeah. throughout it you know like the penis plants or whatever the penis plants etc um, and there were there were even other subtle things like um when the guy's pushing his way through the train he just pushes past brad pitt yes. uh, tyler durden but then he says excuse me to to ed norton's character like acknowledges that he's there you know yes yeah, so there's a lot of subtle sly shit they did which is dope man the, the there's even like a there's even a look on tyler's face when that happens you know yes i push mm -hmm. through and he's like uh. yeah like what the fuck <laughs> right um i read that Polaniak, the author of the uh the novel didn't realize they were the same person till like two-thirds through writing it and then was like, oh shit. <laughs> like, it, that it that just happens a forward. lot, dude. That's yeah, awesome, yeah. Man. It's the, um, well, Stephen King calls it, we've mentioned before, the fossil. You're like, as a writer, you're, you're, it's like um, uncovering a fossil. You start with dynamite and you work your way down to a little brush, but it's coming to the surface and you may not know what's in there until you, you know, see it yeah. come into release. Sometimes it's a second draft or a third draft and you're like, have the epiphany, like, well, shit, mm -hmm. this is the story I was really telling about. Right. Like, but... it, this is, yeah, exactly. I just, it just had to fucking hit me in the head. Yeah. What um, do you think? Because you, uh, you might even be able to relate to this on a personal level to a degree of making something with the best intentions, like loose change, but seeing some of the fallout and effect it had. I think Fincher might have experienced the same thing with oh. some of the anarchistic shit oh. that um fight club might have inspired in people you know what i mean the uh for lack of a better term which wasn't even used back then incel types who might have taken it as some rallying cry to go vandalize shit and be anarchistic you know what i mean um, well it's funny you mentioned that because uh in a recent interview i did with someone that was supposed to be published in wired and then was wound up publishing in esquire and i knew going into it that the guy had an agenda and after like two conversations with him i just disappeared i was just like i already know where uh -huh. this is going 
mm-hmm. but in those conversations and i brought up that because you know he asked me the same he's trying to blame you is that what he was after well, he's like, just like oh well if you if you made loose change now what would you do differently it's just like well dude it's like that was 2005 it's 2020 now like it's 15 absolutely. years ago like people the filmmakers make films within the context of the time period that yeah. they're being and if fincher mm-hmm. were to go back and remake fight club is it fair to ask him it's like oh well you know well, we see what the... happened with lucas with star wars right <laughs> you know adding the digital effects and all that yeah but, I, but more like the the social fallout that jason no, was saying. I know. like you I know, know people are like oh well you know would you have made fight club differently knowing that it was going to inspire like all mm-hmm, these mm-hmm. actual fight clubs in real life and all this and it's just like it's not i don't know if it's necessarily fair to ask a filmmaker that because again someone makes a film at that period in their life they're trying to either say something or just trying to get something off their chest whatever it's a capsule of that moment in time like fight club is a very 90s film if it was made today for whatever reason it would have to, it would turn out completely differently yeah um, just that because the makes- area was made like where the actors were at that point in their career like there's just so many variables that go into mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. a film turns out and i just well, I, I use that exact same example i was just like would you ask david fincher like if he was going to make fight club today if you would make it differently and he fought me on that he's like well i don't think you know i don't think the fallout from fight club and people idolizing tyler durden is you know the same as what happened with loose change at all and it's just like all right well whatever well all loose change did anyway not that we're going to jump on loose change and shit but here's the thing there's a hunger for certain things and there's a market gap that is filled by these things it's like uh there were all these men waiting for a tyler durden to come along it's not like you created the this army of uh anarchistic young men or whatever it's like you said in the movie where a generation of men raised by women it's like that's just real it's out there and they were waiting for a prophet in a tyler durden to come along just like jack was etc i'm not realizing he was his own prophet um but people do want to put such a load and a burden on everything i wasn't even talking about it in that regard i was just more of a comment on it not at all saying you bear any responsibility because look at the film we just are completing now i mean shit dude it's way worse than fight club be the biggest of what it could inspire or be blamed for or whatever but it's like dude um somebody asked us this in the interview we did recently in another podcast like do we feel scared at all about what people might do if they're inspired by this awful character we created and it's like you can't create art worried about how people are gonna crazy people the fringe crazy people are gonna take it and run with it you know what i mean it's sort of an antiseptic being or sunlight being the best antiseptic thing too um you're exposing that part of society that's already there you know right and the thing with fight club is it was by the end it was very anti all of that you know it was um Durden became the antagonist you know that it was uh, right. like the the cultish sort of aspect of the project mayhem guys where they just became sheep themselves you know and uh i think the movie made that very clear that that wasn't a bad thing it was a negative you know so well and i think it, it also comes down to it also comes down to how they changed the ending too because in the book it winds up that he's in a mental institution you know the aide is like leaning over and like winking like we we got you back still mr durden whereas in the film they specifically made a point to show that jack wins in the end and that tyler is gone and jack, jack has now taken over and it kind of course corrects the ship in a way that and even palinuk himself said that he preferred the film's ending to the book yes, yes. which so, is great so. and refreshing and rare because usually you yeah, get was King hating kubrick's shining etc and well well, as someone who read the book and is familiar with it and loves the movie do you have a preference do you think the film nailed this version of the story better than the book did or what improved upon it fight club or shining (laughs) hey we can take into both yeah i was asking fight club specifically we've 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 gone over fight club and back a couple times now but i i i enjoyed both and i feel like i got a good experience because watching the film and then reading the book that inspired it i felt Uh like i had more there was more like fuel behind it in a way. But you see why they made the changes they did and how they were. I do. I do. And I think it made for a better film. And I think the fact that Chuck Palahniuk is behind it shows that they were the right decisions. Whereas, you know, Stephen King made his TV adaptation of the shining that was supposed Mm -hmm. to be more true to to the book. Yeah. Yeah, And like, even you even have Dr. Sleep, like even though I just watched that spiritual, even though it's like a spiritual succession to the shining, the imagery that they're using from the original film. Oh yeah. Those (laughs) shots. Yes. Specifically. Right. But it's tone and everything. I didn't find anything like the shining. A lot of what I loved about the shining was lacking in Dr. Sleep. 
Yeah, Doctor Sleep. It was it was cool to see the Overlook again, but that was really about it. That's all I got mm-hmm. out of it. For the record, I'll say Kubrick over Stephen King in this case. As much as I Absolutely. adore fucking Stephen King and respect yeah. the shit out of him, I mean the maze coming to life and all that. I mean uh-huh. Kubrick. I've read movie. the book too, the yeah. King book, and I definitely take the rate the movie higher. Um, master fucking filmmaker, of course. I mean, my dog is named Kubrick for Christ's sake, but. Right. Um, but I do, I do, I am fascinated by that. The, um, what authors of novels think of their adaptation, you know, the right. movies that are made from those, those works. And it's, it's cool to hear that Palladio thought it was actually an improvement. And then you have like the case of a, uh, you have like World War Z where the author's like, well, they yeah. kept the title of the book. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But how could you make a movie of that anyway? As soon as he signed away the rights to it. I mean, a, a TV as show. Soon as, maybe. as soon as Brad Pitt's your lead, which is funny because we're coming off of Fight Club and how many yes. changes were made to put it more in line, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. away from the book. But it is funny that I bring up World War Z after, as we're talking about Fight Club and. Right. Yeah. It all connects. Material. Um, and the stories of Fincher's battle with the studio are pretty interesting to me because, you know, Jay and I have existed in that way. I'm sure you have as well. Well, even with, even with Seven, well. I mean, like a prime example where like, you know, Brad Pitt had accidentally gotten an earlier draft of the script that had the original ending. Yes. And then the studio was like, oh, yes. no, no, that's not the right ending. And Brad Pitt's like, no, this is this is the fucking ending. If you want ending. me in it, we're doing the I'm ending. Doing right? movie unless we do <laughs> this ending. Like, yes. I want the head in the box ending. Yes. <laughs> you know? yes. I want to yes. be a meme. What's in the book? <laughs> right. Um, but there are some moments in Fight Club, like, you know, you know, the great line, I haven't been fucked that hard since grade school. Yes. Um, that was One of the best lines of all fucking time, yes. if you ask me. And it's funny because yes, exactly. And the, that was a, a, we all know the backstory. We all okay, know the backstory on that. Like yeah. Fincher, you know, is just like, all right, well, let me try and think of the most offensive thing I could put in, basically, in response right. to it. And they're like, go back, go back to the abortion yes. line. Oh my yeah, god, I want to have your abortion, right? And uh, they were like, no, that's too hard. And he said, well, you know, if if I replace it, you have to take the replacement. No more it, arguments. It's and almost they, like what Trump fans or the art of the deal, like you know, go for the big crazy ask so that you can pair back. Yes. Or Team America was right. a great example of that, where they had like a five minute long fuck scene with the puppet, so they got to cut it back, and it's still pretty pornographic, you know. Um, some sacrificial lambs you put in there as a writer or a director. And so, and similarly, the uh, rubber glove, which was something Brad Pitt came up with, you know, when he opened the door after having sex with Marla and he had this rubber glove on. And <laughs> the studio also thought that was too much a- until it got the biggest laughs of the movie and screeners. You know? Fucking studios, these people. This so, is what I'm talking about. The ones know, you read, exactly. save the cat and think that, you know, whatever. Executives, I don't know how much you've dealt with the Hollywood development side of things, but it is quite a fucking Sisyphean ordeal. A little bit. Yeah, a little, bit, a little bit here and there. Doing your indie I, thing, if you can, is the way to go. We found at least, absolutely, as far as creative liberation and shit, <laughs> by far. Anyway, the less, uh, the less money on the line, more you can get away with. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to understand, though. Yeah, when millions and millions and millions of dollars are at risk, yeah, they're going to be risk adverse as shit. Everyone's going to be skittish and everything. I mean, it's just, it's not a good recipe for making interesting provocative shit that's all fincher is so uncompromising i mean this is a guy who does 70 takes if necessary to get what he wants i mean he does not give a fuck but he's also well aware that this is costing four hundred thousand dollars a day you know what i mean like he, he knows what's going on he's just uncompromising as hell to his credit you know have you seen mank by the way i've not had a chance yet i didn't even know that was coming out until everybody was talking about it on twitter yeah, so same. i guess yeah. Some point that's the problem with netflix you don't get that marketing push but not that fight club ever got the marketing push or anything either such, but there's such a glut of uh, it's an embarrassment of riches you know with the stuff coming out too it's hard to keep up with it all totally Dude, all 2020, right. 2021 is going to be crazy for content. Like all the movies, like Warner Brothers dumping everything on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. You got we should talk the- about that a bit too, if you yeah, want. Kevin, that's Kevin Feige, like Feige just announced like 20 projects the other day on the investor yeah. call. They're finally, moving, they're, they're finally moving forward with Fantastic Four. They officially announced it. Not that we knew that yes. they weren't doing it, but mm-hmm. man, 20, 2021 is going to be nuts. Yes. Are you a big is, Marvel guy? I am only because I like I had a couple Iron Man comics growing up. You know, I, I definitely had my share of comic books. I was never really a Marvel fan per se, but I just I just absolutely admire what they were able to achieve and like the the, the interweaving of stories. I mean, building up to a movie over a decade 
Um, and I think, I think the true testament to what Marvel did and the fact that they pulled it off and how amazing it is that they pulled it off is all the other studios that tried to copy it and failed miserably. Yes. yes. Like, like DC was like, oh, well, we'll just, we'll just go straight to the Avengers, you know? Like, they didn't spend, like, four yeah. or five years building up to Justice League. They didn't release the Batman film and then the Joker film and then the Wonder Woman Part film. Part of it They're is like, that oh. Feige, you got to give him credit as the oh, orchestrator absolutely. of all of this. Oh. You need that one guy the who's the buck stops with who has a creative vision you know here's the thing about feige too is he's not just some corporate stooge like i mean this is a guy that was on set for x-men for daredevil yeah. he had seen what had worked in the past with certain marvel movies and what didn't work and he was able to come in to marvel studios and be like look i've been down this road before i know what works i know what doesn't here's what you got to do and as soon as they started listening to him the the fucking dollars started coming in we remember it as kids. We're a little older than you. So we were there hungry for a Punisher movie. And then they gave us oh, Dolph Lundgren. And right. that, I mean, you got Roger Corman's Fantastic Four, of course. But I remember that Captain that America Captain movie. America was like, awful. what the fuck? We deserve so much better. So when this stuff the Hawk, came along, the Hawk TV show was kind of cool, the 70s. Yeah, totally, totally. But, well, but, I think, but it never got the Hawk, like, hawking out. It's no, like you'd lift not. a car or something. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's part of what that's should be admired pace. too is like the amount of failures that Marvel did have in the past, especially licensing their work out to other studios. That's what it was, know. though. They were like, we got to stop licensing it out. If you want something yeah. right, do it your fucking self. X Men well, and Fantastic Four both. Because <laughs> they, no, they had no money. <laughs> like they right? That's where they were at the time. Yeah. I think Marvel just, has a much better material to work with too than DC, to be honest. Batman's cool, but and Joker's cool, but most of the rest is pretty garbage, man. <laughs> I don't know. Well, look at Spider-Man and all like the fucking villains Spider-Man right. has versus Batman has like two or three good villains. It's like how you can't only milk them so much. It's like Dick yeah. Tracy villains, you know. Spider-Man. <laughs> so, uh, Spider-Man has the Sinister Six, and Batman has like the Rogues Gallery or something like fucking yeah. Jared, Who? like Joker and Harley Quinn like right. yeah and the suicide and suicide squad and again thankfully dc seems to be starting to learn from their mistakes because now they're like all right james gunn just just do whatever you want yes just do what you just, did on guardians yeah. <laughs> just get as weird as possible yeah. Have, yeah there's gonna be a big screen adaptation of polka yeah. dot man <laughs> right right see guardians though was one of those movies where it's like this is kind of a b property you kind of run wild with it james yes. gunn do what you can with it make it fun and cool because it doesn't fit as much into the major story at first you know i think they accommodated it later once it was a fucking massive hit but uh yeah, so he got i love the, that cosmic and now nobody nobody wants shit. to see an avengers film without the guardians now it's, yeah, exactly. it's again, right like, it just goes to show you I, I didn't i had never heard of the guardians of the galaxy i'm like talking raccoon talking tree cool whatever and then like i saw mm -hmm. the movie and then the so fun movie. so yeah. fun they're so well, good I, I, I was into like the Silver Surfer and all that cosmic shit in comics as a kid, Galactus and just all the shit in space. And it just gets nuts, man. It's like a fucking mind bending stuff. And a lot of Guardians is, is taken from that source material. Um, but the problem is that Fox owns Silver Surfer. So they actually gave a lot of like the whole ego, the living plan and all that shit with Kurt Russell and everything. That was all Silver Surfer. And they, they gave it all to Guardians of the Galaxy because Fox owned the Silver Surfer. They're, they're but, going uh, to make a surfer movie eventually. They're going to do it yeah, right. Yeah, they have to. It'd be amazing. And they do got to cast um, Michael Fassbender. It'd be sick. Anyway. So um, is Fight Club your desert island movie? Like if you were stuck on a desert island, is this, this the movie you'd want to see over and over? Or would you choose something else? Oh, God, that's such a tough question. It is, because um, there's a few ways to go about the desert island thing. Yes, porn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it would have to be something that I could watch over and over and over again. Exactly. Um, I will say, I know you want to move on from Fight Club too, and I do want to get into all these crazy yeah. uh, bad movies that you enjoy. But I will say, rewatching it again, it had been probably ten years, and I went to watch it. And I have like some tenth anniversary or twentieth anniversary or some shit Blu-ray that has like four commentary tracks on it, Ooh. and great commentary tracks, like one with Polaniak and Jim Ools and one with Fincher by himself and then one with Fincher and Brad Pitt and Ed Norton and shit. I mean, it looks amazing. And I thought about picking one of those since I'd seen it so many times, but I'm glad I just said, you know what, fucking, I'm going to watch the movie, give it the respect and do it deserves. And it was amazing. I hadn't seen it in a while. Yeah. It's rich, man. Yeah. It I, is I a forgot fucking how good it was. killer movie, dude. Um, well, and I do have a, a the writing song. is on point. 
I do have a somewhat specific memory to that because again, the first time I watched it uh, was on VHS, and then again when I wa- like the first time I saw it, you know, if at all was on VHS, and the first time I finally watched it, it was a DVD rip. But I remember in 2009, before Blu-rays were really going mainstream, and you know there wasn't a Blu-ray of Fight Club, anything like that. Um, I managed to find like a Direct TV like. HD rip of Fight Club or something. And it was like, it was like eight, nine gigs. It was like super high quality. And I could actually, for the first time, see the grain in the movie. And it was like a yeah. big deal for me. Cause it's like, wow, I'm not only seeing the whole image, but I can actually see like the grain yes. in the film. And it, gave, it like, just that alone gave me like this whole new respect for the film. Like, oh, the movie has grain. So I respect it. But I just, I felt like I was seeing it again for the first time right. in a different way. Um, <laughs> Yeah, one other thing I want to say about it, it too, actually resulted in more grain than typical too. I was I was reading a little bit on that 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 they actually wanted that grain, that additional grain, and I, I appreciate that too. Yeah, yeah. go ahead, Jay. Statically. Well, hold on, blowing out some herb. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you before we move on from it is, having read the book and the film, I, again, I don't remember the book that well, but I remember. All right, first off, there's a couple ways you can take this. As soon as the film kicks off and it has that strange coming out of the strands of his DNA, essentially, all the way up through his skin, you know, it takes that cellular journey up into the real world, digital journey with the Dust Brothers kicks in, right? The fucking music and everything, the energy of it's propulsive, it's crazy. You're like, all right, I'm about to take a fucking ride. But as I was watching this time, I was like, you could very well swap that music out and just have straight horror type music. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, so when you think about these decisions you make aesthetically or even just genre decisions, which way you lean into it, think back to the book. I don't remember the book having that energy. When I read the book, I don't know if I read the book, if I had read it before I saw the movie, if I would have been like, Whoa, what the fuck is this? Like I didn't know what they did with it. it be so energetic and chaotic and shit. You know what I mean? Which, uh, I think I think it was the right decision for the film. It has this crazy propulsive energy, the way it's montaged and the voiceover just carries it. It's like a river that you get caught in the currents of and it takes you away, which is dope. Um, now, I did read the book and I don't remember it being quite like that. It does take you on a ride for sure. Poloniak does that, but uh, I don't know. I, I just didn't know if you had any thoughts on that as far as having read it and seen it. Uh, that opening is definitely a decision. It's definitely For a choice. Sure. Um, I would have to get like balls on the table. Yeah. Yeah. I, I myself would also have to go back and reread the book. Um, cause I haven't, I haven't read the book since like 2001, 2000, cause I saw the film and then got mm-hmm, the book mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. um, I probably don't even have the book anymore. Um, yeah, I'd have to revisit it. Right on. All right. Um, I, I read that opening um, sequence going through the brain, the fear center of the brain and all that was the studio wouldn't agree to the cost until they had seen enough of the actual, you know, dailies and the, the edit to be comfortable. And then they finally, after some time, green lighted it. So he had to kind of convince them to spend the money he wanted to, to, you know, assure them that the movie's mm-hmm. good enough to be worth the extra expense. I will say, too, as I was watching it, first off, it's like all that stuff's super cool. All the Fincher-esque shit of going through walls and down all the, we're going to go through everything to get down to the basement. But you could very easily just cut there. You just cut to a shot. Yeah, right. Exactly. And I started wondering, like, how much different the film would be, if I would prefer Mm -hmm. that way or not. I think, I Mm -hmm. mean, Fincher did his thing, and I love it the way it is, of course. But uh, there, there is, it is interesting how there's different ways to play it. And then I started thinking, this is kind of speaks to what Chris said earlier. Um, he was talking about Marlowe's POV, but I just started thinking, I would love to see a version of this without Brad Pitt in it, where it's purely just Ed Norton straight talking up. to himself and shit <laughs> and walking around just to be fucking crazy. Well, yeah. the funny thing about that is that I do believe they do have enough footage to actually make a Tyler Durdenless cut. Right. Because from nice. what I remember, what I remember, David Fincher shot every scene with Tyler Durden as two versions. He shot one with oh, Tyler Durden shit. in it and one with Jake. Because Dude, it, they need it, to put that happens, out. They have it to. Happens, it happens. You see glimpses of it very briefly in the reveal scene because you see the mm-hmm. flash of mm-hmm. the, corporate, the corporate building where they're rappelling down the side. You have Edward Norton yelling over his head, you are not your job. So that's yes. one of those examples where they probably yeah. shot with Brad Pitt also shot it with edward norton and decided all right let's i want to see the ed norton cut because i I think i think i might prefer it that would be very i think it would be insane yeah i would love especially after the spoilers blown yeah 
there's been like so many successful like signature and fan campaigns like the Donner cut of Superman 2 is a perfect example. Yes. If there was a petition for them to cut an Edward Norton only version of Fight Club, I would, I would be right on that fucking Hey, petition. Soderbergh, oh, get that yeah. shit from Fincher and yes. cut it like you did Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones, yes. yes. Yeah, because there's, there's little glimpses of it throughout the film, and maybe they didn't do every scene, but from what I remember hearing, every scene that they shot, they made sure to at least get one take of just Edward Norton in it. Uh-huh. Just well, part of it speaks to the big reveal, Smart. and that's something Chris and I have come to a conclusion over the years that the big reveal is kind of overrated a lot of times. You're doing all mm-hmm. this work and building this house of cards, but sometimes just as interesting or maybe even more compelling is just to see a fucking crazy guy being crazy his mind, yeah. the whole time and then see how these cult people start to follow him and shit versus the trickery of it is magnetic and awesome and shit as iconic as Brad Pitt is in it. I would kill to see that shit without him. Um, I love the I am Jack's device throughout right. it. I am Jack's right, raging bile duck. I am <laughs> smirking revenge, all that. And me and my buddies have a jam band and we're making an album that's just all of those. So it was good to watch it again too to make sure I get all of them. You know, I'm Jack's cold sweat. I you know <laughs> and all that's right. all that's all Palinuk. That's all from the book. Oh yeah, that's yep. credit. Dude, Palinuk is yes. did you see his interview with Joe Rogan, by the way? No, check, I did check that out. It's great. Yes. He tells some amazing stories in there. He tells one story, a lot of it's about how even creatives have become so much less bold and so much mm-hmm. uh, like he was in a writer's group with Cheryl Strade, that chick who wrote that book wild. They made a movie with Reese Witherspoon. Great movie about it. too. I love that movie. That's a good movie. Um, the book sounds amazing, but he talked about how she had written a scene. Uh, this is from a, essentially a memoir. So th- this thing actually happened. She had put in, included this anecdote that, the writers group itself other writers were like you can't have that in this and i just hate that we've gotten to a point i know so many writers especially screenwriters like wga writers they're not quite as artistic often as novelists or whatever or just purely storytellers and they take into account public perception and executive gatekeeper perception more so they kind of self-censor and shit i hate that first off it's like always go balls out and then fight to keep the provocative shit in but this scene she had talked about her grandfather or uncle or some shit would make her jerk him off when she was a kid. And then once she had found this baby bird that had fallen out of a nest and she took it in her hand and she didn't know if she should smother it or whatever. But the feeling of that baby bird reminded her of her grandfather's cock or some shit, right? Just this shriveled, smooth thing or whatever. And it's so provocative and so gross and amazing. It's like, you can't, that's the kind of shit as a novelist you're gunning for, honestly. You know what I mean? But the p- fact that sense compelling, provocative material. Yeah, and just as far as like, well, Fincher, himself, and, Fincher himself said, films should scar you. They yes, should leave exactly, scars. Exactly. So for other writers to be like, you can't have that, and it should just fucking saddens me, really. You know? Um, yeah, I think all I think all good art should scar you in some way, whether it's positive or negative. It should leave some kind of an impact. Yeah, what was that other quote? It's yeah. like it should. Well, it's a waste uh, of time, otherwise. It should comfort Fluff. the. What is that, man? Great yeah, art comforts saying. the the unconsolable or something. Yeah, comfort the console the. Damn, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Like for, it, but, console um, the inconsolable. No, well, basically, it's saying it should make the freaks comfortable and the normies uncomfortable essentially is the paraphrase of it you know what i mean (laughs) but anyway let's dive into some of these bad movies you love i don't know how much time we have left but uh we'd labor well where should i start hey that's up to you man we have no clue just rattle off a few maybe you know uh well you could talk about a general love of bad movies but we could even get philosophical I mean, this there shit's is. all subjective. So, is whether it bad? it's bad or not, trauma movies, you know, for example, are amazing yes. in my opinion. Exactly. Some people would call them bad, but I think they're great. Most of them. I think the the beginning of my bad movie journey was definitely best worst movie documentary that came out in I think two thousand nine, which is uh, basically the who was the the actor who was a boy in Troll Two uh, goes back like. 15 20 years later and goes back and tracks down all his old cast members and they go on this incredible journey uh, including including the italian director who just it it just keeps insisting that he made a great film and doesn't understand (laughs) why people are laughing (laughs) sounds very american movie-esque holy shit if you have not seen best worst movie and you also haven't seen oh my god 
What was um, the second one? Sorry. Troll 2. Uh, the movie well, Troll 2. Oh, I haven't seen that. No, Troll 2, <laughs> Troll 2 is the movie that Best okay. Worst Movie is about. So if you want to save time, yeah, if you want to save time, you'll get the essential Troll 2 experience from Best Worst Movie. But if you watch Best Worst Movie and then go watch Troll 2, you'll have an additional layer of context to it where you're like, yes. oh, wow. Okay. Um, so, so you recommend Best Worst first, then Troll 2. I think so, yeah, because okay. then from there, you, you can even, from there you can even judge. <laughs> you can even judge if you even need to see anymore. It might be one of those things where it's like I had enough. Sure, okay, yeah, you just gong it out at some point because you're Cause like, okay. There, it's kind of like right. if you see the disaster artist and then watch the room, right? Okay, so that that was Actually, my next uh, thing. Is I, I was to... I was gonna say like after I'm pretty sure after best first movie, then I learned about the room, and then because mm. the room was right around 2009, really starting to pick up steam. That is around when I saw best first movie. So I'm pretty sure for me it went Troll Two. Uh, the room, and then I think Birdemic might have been the next one. Um, <laughs> and now we have two recent examples that are just glorious. These these men are like experiments that have been sent down, like either aliens trying to understand how humans make film, or aliens just trying to make human <laughs> movies and failing miserably. Two people, Neil Breen and Derek Savage. Uh, Neil Breen is that classic example of the opening credits are on screen and it's just all his name. So you have <laughs> written by Neil Breen, produced by Neil Breen, directed by Neil Breen, oh, sure. starring Neil Breen. And then, and then the little extra, uh, little extra uh, glazing on the cake or whatever. I keep, I'm fucking failing for uh, idioms and expressions today. Uh, the icing on the cake. The extra icing on the cake is that in the credits, he goes as far as to say, lighting, none, hair, none. <laughs> Love and then, it. And then a couple, <laughs> it gets better. It gets better. A couple cater like ambiguously titled catering companies. And then at the end of the credits, it's like any credits that start with NRB were actually Neil Breen. So basically this guy wrote it, produced it, directed, <laughs> started in it. There was no Perhaps. lighting. There was no hair. He's running the camera and he did all the catering, which means it was probably like bottled water and fruit snacks. So <laughs> this man, it. this man so far has not only made like five, and I, I emphasis Neil Breen's five theatrical feature-length films. Emphasis from Neil Breen. This this man is a theatrical feature filmmaker because he's you know Many screened in a couple over. of theaters here and there. That he rented again. the theater. <laughs> but again, Van like vanity press sort of thing. As abysmal as the results might be from Neil Breen, Derek Savage, uh, James Nguyen of Birdemic, Tommy Wiseau, uh, the weird Italian director of Troll 2. Uh, talk shit about the movies that they've made all you want. At least they made a movie. Fuck yes, Hell yes. Chris that's and I say that all the time. And uh, that's another thing about the cancel culture, har harpies and all that. It's like, don't bitch about my movie. Go make your fucking movie. Go make your movie as an answer to my movie or what you think the world is lacking as far as movies go. You know what I mean? Everyone should be making shit regardless. Um, go yeah. make shit that sucks by all means, well, but make stuff, you know? It's, it's part of a kind of a personal rule that I've tried to adapt lately. And again, even as I talk about these bad movies that I love, I, I need to stress at the end, like again, at the end of the day, they still made a fucking movie. Like Props. they went out there with their camera, they got actors together. Sometimes they didn't, mm -hmm. um, but they made a movie. And I mean that, if, if nothing else should be inspiring to up and coming filmmakers or people like myself who until recently hadn't directed feature film, I was like, fucking Tommy Wiseau made a feature film. James Nguyen made a feature film. Like what's, what am well, I- Well, the Neil Breen of it, the more you can do yourself, that's kind of what we set out to do with Cactus. Mm -hmm. Well, we didn't set out to, but eventually it's like, all right, so first day of Cactus Jack, cost us 800 bucks, had a crew, rented cameras, did everything conventionally, got a couple minutes of footage. And it was like, this shit's untenable. I'm going to scale back. I'm going to shoot it myself on fucking phones. I'm going to do all this. I mean, this is partly just because of budget, budget concerns yeah. or whatever, but also just creative control. And at that low a budget, why not just make this balls out artistic statement as much as you can? Chris and I are trying yeah, to. Yeah, when it was point. originally conceived, we were like, what can you do that's just as close to one actor as possible? You shoot yourselves. You know, I mean, a, a guy who's podcasting Venom out into the world and getting responses back but it's really just it's super contained it's just you know you don't need like well we were just talking about the opening sequence in fight club versus if you just came right in on him you know with the gun in the mouth you know is it is it the value versus being able to just do it yourself like you can get a lot of 
impact just out of right and even away from like our individual stories the democratization of the process by technology that now you can easily edit on your own laptop you can do all these things you know you can shoot it on a cell phone steven soderbergh shoots fucking movies on cell phones you know um so i think that's super empowering i love that about this neil breen dude i gotta check his shit out and yeah maybe i'll just like this is atrocious aesthetically and it's hard to watch but props 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 Everyone should well, take that example. There's um, if you want a good starting point, uh, there's a YouTube channel I follow, uh, yourmoviesucks.org. Um, and so if you if you go into YouTube and you type in Y M S Neil Breen N I E N E I L B R E E N, if you type that in, that'll be a nice okay. uh, that'll be a nice starter course on okay. Neil Breen. Then Do you know who that Andrew Brow- Bowser dude is? Andrew yeah, I was just Bowser. Nope, the seen, worm. Yeah, his film Worm. Just Worm. Yeah, he shot this shit on a snorri cam you know the snorri cam that spike lee thing where it's just on you wherever you move oh yeah 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 so he shot the whole movie on that so it's like almost second person pov yeah exactly it's on him his face the entire fucking hour and a half or whatever as this guy runs around scrambling with this murder cover up and escaping these dudes after him and shit and it's super low budget and everything but he did everything and that was part of the reason he did that he's like so it's like it's like hardcore henry if the camera was facing yes, the other way basically yes, yes. <laughs> it's crazy check it out dude he he made it for next to nothing just with his own pretty friends pretty much done in one take he pulled a bird man but it's uh, he there's two takes of the whole movie it does split at a certain yeah, point and that's part of the fun is can you guess where he spliced yeah. it but, uh, i'm sure i'm sure there's a, a switch pan cut here and a, yeah, and a exactly. cross fade there i'm mm-hmm. sure there's all kinds of tricks um but dude again that kind of shit we just have such a massive massive respect for because in the end if you're an artist you don't first off asking permission knocking on doors going to the gatekeepers wanting them to like your shit and put all this money up to make it and wanting these actors like we've all been sucked in and seduced by that but there's nothing more empowering than just like willing a fucking movie into existence you know what i mean where you're not asking for anybody's permission or help i mean we know tons of filmmakers who are held back i need an editor i need a dp it's like no autodidactically get there on your own it doesn't have to be perfect you're just telling a story it could have limitations or whatever but do it well writing novels are similar too that even more so Final Cut Pro has become insanely affordable yes. compared to what it used to be. I mean, the cost used to be prohibitive. You'd have to pay like twelve hundred dollars to get the whole studio, and you mm-hmm. right. choice. Yeah, now, now it's subscription models and stuff. Well, like well, I use Premiere, per- Adobe. That's Premiere, but Final yeah. Cut is three hundred bucks. Dude, Final mm-hmm. Cut, I got it. I think I got it on sale at the end of last year for like two hundred bucks, and yeah. like you get software updates all the time. Like it's fast. It runs great. Like, and especially like I'm in the, the big Facebook screenwriting group. And I mean, I've lost track of the amount of people who are just like final cuts too expensive. What's some good free software out there. And it's just like, look, eventually, like if you're serious about this shit, you're going to have to put buy five bucks away a week, put away five bucks seriously. a week. And then compared yeah. to any other business, dude, and even, even final draft, like we bought that way back mm-hmm. in like 2000. We bought it way back in 2006 when we were doing the third edition of Loose Change. And I recently was just like, I, cause I was still like using like my old copy of it and I really needed to upgrade. Mm-hmm. So I emailed them. I was like, Hey, I paid for Final Cut 14 years ago. I don't have my email or my license anymore. They went through the, the records. Draft. They're like, yep, here you go. Here's a code 79 bucks for the new one. It's yeah, like, right. great. Yep. Awesome. And now I've got a, I've got a legit new copy of Final Draft, always updated. You know, and you don't need that shit anyway. I mean, first off, no, I mean, you can use like these are all excuses to to not make shit. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's what I'm saying. It's just like if you you really want to write a script, you'll find a way to do it. You'll find the right software. You'll pirate Final Draft if you have to. But people who are complaining, or it's just like, I I have to spend $79 on Final Draft. It's like, well, you want to do this shit for a living? Then, you know, spend money to make money. Totally. Or find another way. Um, Chris, I remember. Chris first had in my, the first scripts we ever wrote. Didn't you like create macros in Microsoft yes. Word? You hit like F five for your character, and then F six for dialogue, etc. You know, <laughs> it's just a function key. To, uh, you know, action was F one. Yeah. You know, it's what like I mean? where there's like, a will, there's a uh, way. Oh, no, slug line was F one. Actions up to you know what I mean. And it was formatted just like any script. You know, in the end, but um, but well, I was going to say too though, when it comes to just if you just want to tell a story. Oftentimes, just prose yeah, is all that's you, another thing. you can just you can just you, you're as Stephen King described it. It's telepathy to the to the the reader. You're just communicating. You almost make force them to use their imagination to picture 
what you're trying to get across in the best way they can picture it, which mm -hmm. might be better than what you, whatever you can get with film. Now, I love film, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, if you boil it all the way down, that's the, the no, there's is, no excuses. The one problem is, is no one reads. <laughs> That's the right. fucking problem with prose versus film. Most people well, just want to, they get home from work, they want to turn on Netflix and just watch something to veg out. And there's well, a lot you can, can communicate visually that you can't. Verbally. I'm pretty sure there's, there's a couple success stories, or at least of people who tried to write a script, <clears throat> tried to get mm -hmm. funding for et cetera, and they're like, fuck it, I'll make it a book. And then they yeah. put it on Sideways. Um, Sideways won an Oscar then, for script, and that was one where he was trying to get it going and no one would buy it. So he said, fuck it, I'm going to write a novel. He wrote a novel with Sideways, won a bunch of fucking acclaim, and then got the movie made. And, and you get it as a perfect Oscar example. Make a ton of money. Yeah. Perfect um, example. Lottie, like, too, said they offered him to write the script for Fight Club, and he said, no, I don't want anything to do with it. You know, I, I, you know just go interpret it. And I do love the interpretive aspect of all this, this whole mm -hmm. world, you know, this, this arena where you know, you, you have a director, you have a screenwriter that adapts from the novel, like each level of that, the actor, everything is all an interpretation down the chain, you know, and that itself is kind of fun. Mm -hmm. What were you saying to that, Dylan? You're... Oh, that's, that's basically it. Like, you, you know, if you got a story to tell, find a way to tell it. If you can't write a script, mm -hmm. make it a book. Maybe it'll be a bestseller. And then maybe someone will pay you to turn it into a movie instead of you having to beg people to read your script and throw money on it. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's ways around it. And I mean, just going Audio back to what plays. you're... Yeah, going back to what you were saying before, I mean, that was that was my experience in L.A. for close to a decade, just pounding on doors, finding scripts, trying to get funding, having casting calls for projects that wound up never going anywhere, um, and just really demoralizing, you know, just because everyone wants to make a movie, everyone wants funding for a script, everyone mm -hmm. wants to direct, but... You know, a year now being back in upstate New York, I it was the same thing where as like Corey had been settled into Oneana for like two weeks and he was like, dude, let's write a script. Let's write something we can shoot here in Oneana. Like we know yes. we know the town, we know the city, we know people. It's a lot Robert Rodriguez is that shit. Asteroid. Is this asteroid your your That's asteroid. Yeah. yeah. And like as and again, asteroid asteroid couldn't have been made in LA. It couldn't it probably it could have been made within the studio system. But the whole genesis of that project was like, let's just write something that we can shoot here in Oneana on our own. We don't have to beg for money. We don't have to get funding. We don't have to attach A-list actors. We can just get the script right, get a bunch of really talented people and just do it. And we did it. And like I I have this like weird post asteroid like thing going on where it's just like i spent so much time and so much effort of my life like fighting to direct a narrative feature film and now that i've done yeah. it i'm just like i wanted what to do ask I about do? that what do i do I, now like it's I, I, uh, do it again I cyber, I cyber stalked you a little bit and i saw that both loose change and black and blue were originally going to be narrative movies is that right yeah that they were going to be fictional narratives and then you want documentary um what what caused that shift like where did you decide at what point you decided it's it's better to just make it a documentary did i i'm just curious about that like yeah yeah it, uh, uh I mean, loose change for one, I was 18 when I was writing that script. And I mean, I was writing scenes that had like people rallying on the White House lawn and all this stuff and like car chases. And I'm, I'm fucking 18 years old. Like mm -hmm. we, right. we, shot a, we shot a couple of the, uh, the less intense uh, dialogue heavy scenes. And I mean, the actors okay. were me and my two buddies, um, mm -hmm. which as we all know, never goes very well. Usually right. some yeah. cast your friends and like clerks, it goes great. But for me, I, that was, I quickly realized like I don't have the time <laughs> or the, the resources right. or the ability to make the film that I want to make. Um, and at the mm -hmm. same time, mm -hmm in those earlier cuts of the film, I had these like little documentary sections where like one of the characters would learn something or he would be put, like someone would say something and then the movie would like break away into documentary mode. And so in like the early test screenings of the movie, everyone was just like, you need to just focus on those documentary scenes. Like the movie scenes are all right, I suppose, but I wanted to, I, like the information, that's where it's at. Mm -hmm. um, Especially so some of that compelling real right, world shit. That I mean, subject matter, yeah. It hadn't yeah, really been tackled either. When Oliver Stone did uh, the the nine eleven movie, he did uh, that was a just World, World Trade, Trade Center, Center. right? Um, I was I was hoping to see a JFK style style movie where it like followed the terrorists and all the shit, or, you know, whatever. Like you know, a lot, whatever, of, whatever, <clears throat> a lot of people happened. were expecting something very yeah. different than what they yeah. got from that. Um, so he's not known for just that, a small contained me. character story. He's known for the right. geopolitical storm, you know. So. Yeah, that but, speaks uh, to what you're saying, though. That like the subject matter drives it if the subject matter leads you towards it being more of a documentary and something that is following all these little details and such you know it's definitely a different animal than a narrative movie well and that was the same thing with black more, and blue or like appropriate yeah 
yeah, like Black and Blue, I had an idea. I started writing it. I started outlining the script. But then similarly to 9-11, like I, with, I just saw more and more real-life instances of police brutality. The Kelly Thomas trial was yes. going on. And I saw mm-hmm. all these things starting to coalesce. And I really, I was even fighting it adamantly. Like someone even messaged me like, dude, you should make a documentary about police brutality. And I was like, no, I'm done. I, I'm tired mm-hmm. of making documentaries. Mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. went to the Kelly Thomas rally uh, in February 2014. I met a couple family members there. And... Yeah. Before I knew it, I was making a documentary about police brutality. I would love to talk about that stuff with you some other time if you ever want to come back and and sure. deep dive on some of those. Yeah, and also battles. just uh, the switching up from years of trying to make a feature film and then finally achieving it. We are curious to just hear the lessons you learned and the journey, et cetera. So um, I don't know. We're probably very close to timing out. I try not yeah, to. Yeah, that, that buzzer's coming up. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to come back and talk about it. All right, man. Cool. Um, Shit.